Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. We do whatever we do to survive. Drop it! Good evening and welcome to tonight's broadcast of Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed, of course, riding shotgun is Sister Amijo Whitlock and welcome to Political Prisoner Radio. Again, broadcasting on the Black Talk Radio Network. Today's date is April 19th, 2015th on this Sunday night. Uh, Sister Amijo, how are you tonight? Oh, we're enraged down here in Baltimore, should I say, up here in Baltimore. Um, the police have murdered a 27-year-old Freddie Gray, and um, they beat him to death and, um, you know, severed his severed his spine. Um, he fought in the hospital uh, for a week, and uh, he, he succumbed to uh, his, his injuries this morning. Um, and his attorney um, put out a statement uh, at 7 o'clock this morning. So um, there are people in the community protesting yesterday, today, and um, there's another uh, rally scheduled for tomorrow morning. I know I've been um, reading about that story and reported on it um, on Black Talk Radio News when it first occurred, and it was reported he was in ICU. But I do have some... uh, audio from some rallies uh that was held but i do believe we are joined um by um someone i'm not sure who called in from area code 917 who do we have on the line or is that 718 i'm sorry 718 um this is Anne. hey Lamb that's Anne. <laughs> oh, yeah you're doing a mutual hi Anne. hey yeah i was just in to uh report i'm not hearing that uh the audio, oral arguments for julio you know on the 16th uh, so I uh, didn't want to interrupt anything else because it sounded like what Emilio was saying is really important. Oh no, you're not interrupting anything. But we had we are going to talk about police violence and brutality in general. But since she's in Baltimore, you know uh, they just had this heinous killing of this young yeah. man, and they're short on answers. And we know that many of the political prisoners and prisoners of war um, became radicalized because of police terrorism uh, in their Absolutely. communities. So so it's very important. But, no, we don't want to keep keep you uh, waiting. Uh, please share the update. And, and you're updating us about uh, Brother Jaleel Montekin. Yeah, Jaleel Montekin, um there were oral, oral arguments in his case on Thursday at the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in Forty Foley Square, and this is a case, you know, that he's been pursuing for 13 years, since 2003, because it's called Bottom v. Pataki, and Pataki was the governor two governors ago, mm-hmm. and um, it was interesting because um, the attorney who was representing Jaleel, his name is Malik, Malik Havlik, and he worked for a firm called Hughes Hubbard. Now, they were appointed by the court, because Jalil is actually pro se on this, but they weren't going to bring him to court. So um, he argued really well, I mean, especially considering he was a court-appointed you know, lawyer. It's not like he was somebody we picked out. He sounded like us. You know, he had his 10 minutes. We had three judges. It's a three-judge panel. There's a guy named Ralph Winter. He wasn't even there. He's, he, like, just appeared on a video screen. 
and then uh, who, who was in there? Jaleel? No, well, Jaleel was not there at all. No, <laughs> they oh, didn't okay. bring Jaleel. Okay. We knew Jaleel wasn't going to be there. Um, you know, we knew that ahead of time. Uh, so the, no, one of the judges wasn't even actually oh, there. Oh, okay, I mean, I'm he was, sorry. He was there, but not physically there. You know, they right. had him in on right. video link. And can yeah. you can you explain the um the the issues with this specific case? Oh yeah, the issue with this specific case is that um, there's two things. One is an ex post facto, what they call an ex post facto application of the law. And the parole law in New York State, as it currently stands, which is horrible, was the current law was passed in 1978. Now, it should not be applied to people who were sentenced before then, right? Mm -hmm. So Julia was sentenced in 1977, right? So that part of his argument is that this law should not apply to him. Retroactively. Retroactively, exactly. So uh, that was part of the argument. And another part of the argument, and I love this lawyer because he sounded just like us, was the uh, predetermination, you know, of the parole hearing because it is like a predetermined outcome because Mm -hmm. if every time you go to the board they hit you with, quote-unquote, nature of the crime, which is never going to change, Right. You know, the nature of the crime is the nature of the crime, well, you know, of which we're not saying he's even guilty. But according to them, he is. Uh, you know, but you can't, you know, and our lawyer said, you know, well, if he was sentenced to 25 to life, then why is it de facto being imposed upon him that he's getting life without parole? Because, you know, it's a predetermined outcome. Every time you go to the board, they hit you with nature of the crime, you know, at, at that time, definitely. You know, now they've changed the language a little bit, but it's still the same thing. And uh, so the three judges were interesting because two of them were sort of, you know, actually listening and asked some good questions. And then this guy Winter, who was, you know, right. So basically, and so basically, and he has served his time. Oh, he has more than served his time. Yeah. I mean, if he was sentenced to twenty-five to life in nineteen seventy-seven. Then right. that means he should have been out in what 2002, right? Right. So they've had 13 years already added to his sentence, right. uh, as well as his co-defendant Herman has had years added to his sentence, and Robert Sethes has had years added to his sentence. You know, so uh, and everybody else has too. Now Abdul Majid is going actually to the board on Monday for the first time. So we'll see what happens with that. He said he's not expecting anything, but you know he does have a whole parole packet prepared. And we have written letters for him, so we'll see what happens with that. But, um, you know, they argued a lot of legal stuff, so I was writing it down, you know, categorical violation of due process, right? Then they, you know, cited some other cases that I'll have to go look up. And the guy for the state, whose name is Hot Vet, he was, you know, constantly saying, well, how is this different from Graciano v. Pataki? Because that was a class action that they basically dismissed. You know, they never really wanted to hear that case because they would have had to release probably thousands of people in New York State. Wow. And certainly they don't want to damage the, I mean, you know, reduce the prison slave population. They don't want to do that because judges are, in my opinion, uh, in on it. I mean, they're a major part of it. Of course, they're part of it. But um, at least, you know, two of them ask good questions and seem Mm -hmm. to actually, you know, consider something about this because they, of course, reserve their decision. And I just spoke with Jaleel this morning and he was like... Well, you know, hopefully they'll decide by, like, September. And I said, well, hopefully, but, you know, they don't have to give you any time. They just reserve their decision. And uh, But, you know, our, our lawyer was very good. He argued really well. You know, he he was quite impassioned about it. And uh, then good. the state guy got his little ten minutes, and he was like, you know, the whole Graziano v. Pataki thing. And then our lawyer got to come back on for another three minutes, like, just to, you know, respond to that. And... Then he talked about the whole ex post facto application of the law. So, um, and then the judges did ask some good questions about that. So, uh, hopefully, you know, we, we can never, you know, I agree with you, they're a whole part of the system. But that doesn't mean that as individuals, they might possibly make a correct decision. Right, like know? in the case <laughs> of um, um, Sundiata Coley, what the lower courts ordered, you know, that he had served his time under what, New Jersey law. Right. He had served his full punitive sentence, is what mm-hmm. they said. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now he's still sitting inside because they're not going to release him until the Supreme Court... Which is here in the case now, right? Right. The New Jersey Supreme Court is now going to mm-hmm. decide to hear the case. Mm-hmm. 
and he will be he will be you know held in prison until they either hear the case or decide not to hear the case. But I think they have decided to hear the case. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens with that because this goes back to the same thing that's involved in all of these cases. Right. Is you know the uh, the uh, political influence of the Fraternal Order of Police, the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, the uh, CO Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the Detectives, you know, Association, all these people. Um, they have very undue weight in this. Uh, they publicize all kinds of horrible articles in all kinds of newspapers, uh, you know, about our prisoners and, you know, what they're accused of and how they're horrible, violent thugs. It's all taken totally out of context. Nobody's talking about the fact about the rampant police brutality that was happening then as well. Right. I was I was just thinking that as you were speaking, um, I was going to bring up, you know, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement and the increased public scrutiny on police terrorism that, you know, I know it's on purpose, but the mainstream, of course, we can't expect them to make the connections. But that's why I said earlier, it's important for us to make the connection that many of the political prisoners and prisoners of war today were radicalized by this very same evil exactly, that persists right. to this day. Well, I would say I would say they were already radicalized, but they became militarized. That yes. after Militar- all mm-hmm. aspects of nonviolent struggle were exhausted, you know, uh, people were were forced to. Um, that's a good point. Take certain action. Mm-hmm. You know, I know. I mean, specifically, we know that the mur- the police murder of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark um, mm-hmm. caused the Weather Underground to declare war on the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to be, you know, very clear in, in our understanding about, you know, how this has been, you know, a long, you know, protracted struggle. Um and this War is this is just yet. another right. This is just another you know battle you know in the war that this current millennial generation you know ha- has now um, come into. But let's let's talk about it in in terms of the generational differences because it's certainly been decades. Many of the political prisoners in their 40 years, 40 plus years, uh, suffering under horrendous, you know, conditions, solitary confinement and other medical neglect as, you know, we see with Momia right now. But today though. I call that medical murder. Right. Now I I would say back when, when they were sentenced to their, to, uh, prison, when they were given their trials and, and, and whatnot. But today, we have, I guess, would you say social media gives us a tool? Of course, it gives us a tool that they did not have. But I think social media has really been a tool in showing just how evil the police are and how the police oh, no, unions exactly. operate. And, and now exactly. their propaganda uh, can no longer just go out unchecked. Now there are checks on it. Right. Well, right. I think Absolutely. That people can film and video is really mm-hmm. helpful. I mean, that young man who was an undocumented immigrant who filmed that, you know, cop shooting the man in the back eight times, you know, and then planting the taser on him, you know, he afterwards was like a little scared because, you know, he's he's not even a documented person in this country. And really? He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. And you know, he was very brave. You know, he came forward. He showed it to the family. You know, he's been interviewed on several now. You know, different TV stations and radio stations, which is good, because that'll give him some protection. But you know, he saw it going down, and he decided to you know take out his cell phone and film it. Well, you know what? And, you know what you makes know, if him he hadn't brave? Done that, we would not have known. You know what makes him brave, in my opinion, is not the fact that he turned it in, but the fact that he first said he wasn't going to do it. He was just going to delete it because he was afraid, because of that fear. And then after some thought and talking to one of his buddies, he decided to go down to the police station alone, which was a mistake. And, And thankfully, you know, his sense came to him and he hurried up and got out of there and then sought out. Yeah. (laughs) And then sought out the family. So, I mean, I I, I think that it took extraordinary courage to overcome his fear. Oh, of course. And even the filming of it. You know, I mean, they could Mm -hmm. have turned around and shot him. That's true. You know, who's to say they wouldn't have done that? You know, and... uh, 
Well, look what just happened with Ramsey Orta. Yeah, I was just going to say that with Ramsey Orta, how they framed him up on something else because he dared to film, you know, Pantaleo uh, choking Eric Garner to death. Right. Well, even with um, Ramsey Orta, you know, and his uh, liberation funds, you know, they had initially denied him his freedom of bail by trying to claim that the finances behind it were from... You know, uh, I, I don't know the exact words that the that uh, the court system used, but they tried to make it seem like you know um, the money wasn't like green or it wasn't valid. And well, like of, it was drug you know, money or something. <laughs> yeah, they did finally let him out on bail, but they yeah. they did like they had to go investigate because they they they're not used to this kind of you know as you were saying about the social media, you know, an online site where people could give some little bits of money. So once they saw oh, they it, it was... Well, I mean, they oh. know, but they pretend they don't know. So, you know, that was their excuse. Right, like, because the they're used like, to... Well, of course, they use yeah. it all the time. But, you yeah, know, they like to pretend they that they're ancient, their, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, they just... Um, the um, GoFundMe and some of the other sites wouldn't take um, the... Uh, funding or support for the officer that killed Walter Scott, but I know that there was an Indiegogo page or something like that. I don't know if that's still up. No, they um, took it down. Oh, they took that one down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know there there is which again aspect. points to the power of social media right. in the public exactly. to put pressure exactly. on people. Right. No, I, well, I think even, it's, a, it's a great help, but. Uh, we do have to draw those those connections between mm-hmm. right. you know, our political prisoners. You know, many of them were forced by circumstances to go underground. Uh, they had no other alternative. You know, if they lived in their homes, they could be raided by the police. If they were in their office, you know, Panther office, you know, many of those were attacked. Um, so, uh, you know, that's why a lot of them did go underground and form the Black Liberation Army, which had a totally legitimate, you know, reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Because back in the 70s, here in New York City, you know, when these cops were shooting people, they had to worry about maybe somebody's going to shoot back. You know, now they don't even seem to be, they're still scared, but they're not, they're, nobody's even shooting at them. You know, I mean, even that. Well, there actually has been a few. At them and, mm-hmm. and they were so scared. I saw that video. I said, man, these cops are cowards. You know, they were, they were like hiding behind the police cars and everything else. I mean, not to say it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not as widely known as it was back in the day. Because, you know, you know like, look at Pennsylvania. You had the guy up there who, um, you know, uh, sniped at the two state uh, uh, po- patrolmen. You know, he had scoped them out. Eric Friend, I think his name was. And, and um, we've heard of others. And some of them could be actually secret ops. We don't know. You, you know, but... I think that they, I think there is an increase. I'm starting to see more of an increase in, in retaliation against cops. I don't want to call it violence. I'm going to call it retaliation because people are afraid. People are afraid. When people retaliate against brutality and violence, that is not violence. The people who cause the violence are the ones who are violent. Right. Shooting a man in the back eight times while he's running away is extremely violent. You know, choking a man to death in broad daylight is extremely violent, you know. Um, Breaking somebody's spine and damn near severing their head from their body, that right, is exactly. extremely violent. So extremely I don't violent. think that anything that the, the only thing that, you know, as far as the community perspective would be self-defense. Exactly. You know, and, right, and, and, and it's, and it's disgusting and, and it's completely shameful down here in Baltimore that in the midst of, you know, Freddie Gray being beat to death, um, the Department of Justice is here, you know, the Maryland State Legislature, you know, failed to pass any comprehensive laws in, in, in a whole package of, of bills associated to police brutality and, um, you know what are what are the people to do at that point right. where every means of you know um, you didn't prostrated yourselves in the street right. with your hands up. I mean, come on, begging the oppressor right. to stop killing you right. 
and they continue to do it. You know, again, right. with increased public scrutiny through social media and alternative media, and the mainstream is forced. So mil- hundreds of millions, the whole world knows about police terrorism uh, in, in this country. So, um, again, you know, who's to say how another man should resist or another, you know, person should resist this onslaught? Well, you know, um, that's why it's called the Black Panther Party for self-defense. Right. You know, there was a reason for that. You know, it was for community defense. You know, when they used to do the community patrols. Now we have people who do something similar, cop watch. You know, uh, they go out and film. Uh, so that's another weapon of choice is the camera. And that happens to be a very good weapon of choice. And I heard some people say that cameras won't make any difference whatsoever like we're seeing a movement to get all of these cops fitted with body cams do you right, feel like that will that. make a difference i mean not, nobody that's can... not going to make any difference first of all okay it's scary because the cops actually want that so that that means something already that you bad. think they want that no oh, a lot of them have said they actually want it and b uh it they're in control of the camera so if they decide they're going to do something that you know is totally illegal and wrong they can just turn it off but what about some of the studies um, from statistics we do have with cities who have already uh, implemented body camps and have so for a number of years? They do show a reduction in police. Again, it doesn't stop it totally, but it, it I guess it puts it, you know, a question in the cop's mind. I'm being recorded here, so... They say from the, the report that um, brutality reports have actually gone down in, in those cities. So I, I'm like, wait, let's wait and see. I well, mean, the question for me, Scotty, is that I've looked at all of those, looked at some of those studies, and one of the things that's uh, most touted is the the Palo Alto piece. Okay, and yeah, that's the one. It, that's the one. Right. Right, but when I looked at it, it wasn't a full-on implementation. It was actually research. So, you know, researching, you know, the usage of the body cameras is much more than a full-blown implementation. And some of the places that have begun implementing body cameras, these regions are not the localities that have the histories you know, of killing, you know, black, brown, and indigenous right, people. Right, like, like New York, so, like right, Baltimore, right, like um, Philly. Right. Boston. Right. Boston mm-hmm. Detroit. Right. So there, so there really isn't an actual, you know, history here that one could go on. I but understand. I do question when, you know, police departments, um, big national pro-police policy organizations, are actually, you know, promoting um, the body cameras and the usage of the body cameras. And it's just another form of militarization because people in the military have the same technology, you know. Um, So this would just be additional technological upgrades. And one of the issues here in Maryland during the legislative session was, okay, if there's going to be the usage of body cameras, how do we, you know, corral you know, that video and how would that video violate one's civil rights? Because essentially, you know, if you're knocking on my door for any kind of reason, as soon as I open it, you see everything in plain sight, you know, where historically, you know, um, certain information wasn't, um, you know, readily available or could not be necessarily used. So... You know, on issues of like search and seizure and things like that. So there are some major issues, you know, across the board. I'm not for body cameras. Um, there's been multiple deaths. Yeah. I mean, there's been multiple deaths across the country caught on video and still none of these police, you know, um, have been charged, tried, prosecuted and are, you know, none of them are in jail. Not a one of them. Um, I mean, anywhere from when... Um, well, there have James- been a few, Sister Mijo. Um, the guy, Walter Scott, that resulted in that man's arrest. And um, the one with the man where they killed Eric Harris in Tulsa, the um, reserve deputy, which is a frightening story uh, because now you got rich people who can pay to play in the streets and go on safari. 
Oh, but there, 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 there have been some. But no, but I think the I'm biggest saying. failure saying, has been to right. indict by these right. grand juries. Right. I'm saying the whole process: mm-hmm. charged, tried, convicted. Right. You know, because okay. in in a lot of these cases, you know, at a certain point, um, you know, even though we we get the indictment, you know, that doesn't mean uh, ending conviction, and it doesn't mean jail time. You know, um, even with um. Right, boy, even boy. <laughs> right, right. Well, even with the um, issue of um, Oscar Grant, you know, right. and and what happened in his case, and even you know the disgusting fact that his Department of Justice civil rights case is still open after more than five years. Wow, you is know? it? Yeah. yeah, six years now it's wow. open, and the fact wow. that you know the DOJ is even here in Baltimore, and there was a community meeting a few days ago. You know, there was just a, a, a dog and pony show. You know, it's just bullshit. How do you want to come to, you know, the community and ask us, oh, well, what do you think that we could do to stop the Baltimore police from, you know, killing and, and beating and, and, and taking, taking people's lives? No, that's, that's your job. You're supposed to be telling us what you're going to do, you know, for the right. citizens of Baltimore, not be asking us, like, oh, well, what do you think some of the things that could be changed? Come on now. Arrest these, arrest these cops and put them in prison. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, come from, from just basic issues of misconduct, corruption, the whole shit up and down the chain. You know, investigate the mayor, investigate the commissioner, investigate these criminal ass coroners, you know, that are lying and covering up all this police brutality that's happening across the country. We can't leave them out of it. Because these right. coroners, they're all lying. They are all lying, you know, to cover up police misconduct. They're in line with it, you know, and and, it, and it's disgusting that um, they are violating their own, you know, code, codes of ethics to be in line with whatever the uh, police department. I don't think uh, they wants. have any uh, code, codes of uh, ethics. I, I don't think they have any. I mean, well, they're supposed to. You know, we're looking at a yeah, culture. I have to run because I have to go be on a conference call. But good luck to both of you, and thank you so much for having me on. And keep up the good work. All right, uh, and you do the same. Uh, a lot of people here in New York who listen to your show every week, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we heard you on Political Prison Radio. Oh, we love that show." I said, "Yes, I do too." <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank thanks, you. Good, just so you know, okay? Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, we're just about here to come up on our break. I do want to give the uh, phone number out um, so that if you have any political prisoner news or you want to comment on some of the current headlines, uh, you can do so by giving us a call at 704-951-5030. That's 704-951-5030. We'll take this short break, and then we'll come back. I want to play this clip. Of of the protests that are ongoing um, in Baltimore uh, over the murder of Freddie Gray. We'll be right back. are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. I'm going to go ahead and queue up this video of protests that have been ongoing up there in Baltimore. You want to lead us in? Uh, Sister Whitlock, again, just give some people some background information on what's going on in, in, in your city. Well, um, last week um, in the Western District, uh, the police stopped um, 27-year-old Freddie Gray. And by the time they had taken him to the Eastern District Station, uh, they had wind up calling, um, you know, for emergency, uh, medical intervention and it was made known that Freddie was basically, 
um, beaten to death and his uh, spine severed at um, his neck by um, 80%. Uh, Freddie has been fighting for his life over the last week and succumbed to uh, the all the injuries from um, his encounter with the Western District uh, Police. Um, he passed 7 o'clock this morning. Now, I have seen the video, and I don't see them beating him in the video, but it appears he had a broken leg, as one of the commenters on the video was saying, and they just drug him and threw him in the back of a paddy wagon. Uh, right. And threw him in the back. And it, it was sometime in between there and transport to what? To jail that he sustained yes. this attack and these injuries? Yes. I mean, did they beat him up in the back of this thing or what? Well, that's where a lot of the questions remain, that, yes, um, there was a video that uh, showed that he had been beaten prior to being put into the back of the paddy wagon. Okay. Um, that in a lot of situations, people don't know um, when you're put in the back of a paddy wagon, when you're handcuffed, whether it's just by your hands or by um, your feet as well, you're not strapped in. So, um, you know, there were claims today in the mayor's press conference that there's seatbelts and all these other things. No, the they're not, because I was in a paddy wagon right. a, a, about two months ago. So, right, right. <laughs> so she, so she lied, and 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 Commissioner Bats also lied. And for people who don't know, um, the current commissioner in Baltimore City is Anthony Bats. Um, Anthony originally comes from uh, Long Beach in Oakland, and he has the blood of uh, Oscar Grant and uh, many others um, on his hands. Uh, when he was initially chosen for the commissioning uh, position here, uh, we did not want him here. Um, just more bad cops. Bad right, cops exactly. being, being, you know, all they do is just take their uh, show on the road, get in right, trouble, cycle, get fired, right. whatever. At one right. place, you just go to another. Right, exactly. And and, and they cycle, and, and that's the history, you mm-hmm. know, um, of people and, and law enforcement. One more, one more question before I run this mm-hmm. video. Um, the last thing that I read, and I actually wrote an article about it, but I couldn't find any information on what he was being, um, detained or arrested for in the first place. I mean, there's no, right. has there been a release of a charging sheet? Did they ever charge him with a crime? Well, this is, right. Well, see, this is one thing that was, uh, very disgusting this afternoon with the mayor's press conference. First of all, they look shook and they couldn't even look into the cameras and, they were fumbling and mumbling all over their words and lying, you know, contradicting, you know, their own statements, contradicting each other. And then one of the members of the police department, you know, uh, trotted out the, you know, policies of, you know, police being questioned and the law enforcement officers, Bill of Rights crap. And um, one of the things they were stating that they wanted to, you know, look into if there were any, you know, criminal prosecutions or criminal charges, you know, regarding Freddie Gray. And, you know, like that's a, that's another slap in the face. You know, this man is deceased. And here you have the police claiming that the encounter started with the allegation of, um, you know, him being a- a- engaged in a low level, um, street, street, um, drug crime. Uh, economic crime, but there's no um, indication um, at all um, that he was even involved in anything. Right, know, right. Like that's that. just so what that, they say. That, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, okay. that, so that is the insinuation now. Right, um, like a Ramarley Graham, just like right. Ramarley Graham in New York. Oh, we saw you buy some weed, and we're going to break into your grandmama house and run upstairs right. and gun you down in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. So, so that is so that is the current you know allegation from you know the Baltimore City Police Department. But you know it's known here in Baltimore, DC, and other places where you know police do this this stuff that they call basically jump a uh, jump out. You mm-hmm. know uh, where they the police could be riding down the street and you know you just be a typical black man walking down the street in Baltimore and they will just jump out on you. 
you know, and try to pat you down and get your information, you know, send you on your way. In other places, you know, that would be like it's an idea of uh, stop and frisk. But here, you know, it's, it's called a jump out. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to run this um, post that uh, Sister Tawanda Jones has shared this video uh, mm-hmm. that was posted by uh, Global Rev. Um, uh, Robert Bune, uh, uh, independent journalist with Global Ref Live. And this is, uh, some of the protests, a rally that took place at the Baltimore, um, police station today.
And um, again, that was um, from a rally that was held today at uh, Baltimore Police Department. Uh, Sister Meacham, any thoughts? Um, I mean, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired here in Baltimore, you know. Um, same thing with brothers and sisters around the country. And, um, you know, the West family has been out in the forefront of leading this movement against police terrorism and genocide for the last two years. And uh, we have not had, you know, one uh, arrest um, in our, our movement here. There have been some other situations around the region where um, activists and organizers have been attacked by police, um, you know, engaging in Black Lives Matter movement work. Um, but, you know, I feel like many other activists and organizers here that, you know, they're taunting um, the people. When we were in Annapolis, you know, the police were, you know, they were so disrespectful and um, psychotic in their behavior. Um, they totally took up all the seats in the hearing. You know, the, the politicians were, were laughing and, and just saying stuff and, you know, making They want a war, like don't they? They act like they want a war, don't they? Exactly. Exactly. They act you like know. they want a war, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know. people organizing, using their voices, um, trying to use the ballot box and you know like the SCLC. And, and that's another thing like people keep talking about voting they keep talking about all these other different you know non-violent means of you know making change um but the system is failing to and, be, and, be the call of the community in baltimore like philadelphia is a perfect case study in voting more black people in the offices. It doesn't seem to have an effect on the system because they just simply happily join the system and per help perpetuate it, you know. And we certainly see an element of proxy racism. We saw that in Baltimore where the one cop was seen, black cop was seen beating the black man at the bus stop. You know, and, right. um, you know, we see that again in Philadelphia and we see it in the Walter Scott killing where the black right. cop, you know, lied on a police report about what happened and what right. he saw and what he observed. And, and so, right. yeah. Well, so. even if we want to, you know, take that issue of the whole voting piece and look at, you know, Ferguson, you know, people were saying recently that, you know, um, there was an increase by, you know, two people you know, on the city council to, to people of African descent, but those individuals were not conscious folk that were involved in the movement. One of them was a former, a former mayor or a former city council person. I mean, mm -hmm. pretty much establishment African Americans. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and it's like at a certain point, like we were saying earlier, you know, uh, when people have exhausted you know, all the various means, um, you know, people will, you know, defend themselves, defend the community, and, you know, we're calling um, for cop-free zones, you know, police-free zones, mm -hmm. you know, across all communities, and, you know, calling for, you know, a, a multitude of, of different, you know, demands, of course, but, you know, people, like I said, at a certain point, um, it it becomes explosive, and um, on on the press video and everything today, you know, with the mayor and back, you know, they bumbled and fumbled, you know, through their words, and you know, lied, contradicted themselves, you know, and and said so many other different things in that video um, that it's it's shameful, you know, um, absolutely shameful here, you know, shameful all across the country. You know, and I was even disgusted when Bat said something, you know, in, in the press conference, you know, all lives matter. And I'm like, no, God damn it. You know, we're talking about black lives matters, you know, specifically in Baltimore. You know, it's black men that are beat to death and gone down in Baltimore, you know, nearly 100 percent, you know, of the time. Over the last five years, I think maybe two white men, you know, have been killed. So that means that, you know, uh, at least that most black men are 17 times more likely to be murdered by, you know, police in Baltimore than mm -hmm. a white man, 
you know, or, or a person of any other ethnicity, and then people from the Hispanic and Latino community, you know, also suffer, you mm-hmm. know, from from racism and discrimination and ra- racial profile, profiling. I mean, you just know, looking, here in Baltimore and across the state. Just looking at the database killed by police dot net, and I have uh-huh. been reading. Um, these uh right wing talking points on these websites talking about more white uh-huh. men are killed by police, and that's just utter nonsense. Again, right, and, kill- and, and I mean it's just it's lies and nonsense, and it's people trying to um you know they're just playing with the data, you know they're just trying to play with information and identity politics, and we already know based on our data and our research here that they killing somebody every 14 days, you know. Um, Where, in Baltimore? Well, in the the state of Maryland. Oh, Um, in the state of Maryland? Because I was going to say uh, killed by police data, national data shows three people a day are being killed. Yes, 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 yes. Three people a day, you know, uh, nationwide, but specific um, to here. And, of course, you know, the MXT, you know, every um, 28 hours. Um, study really um, broke down the uh, frequency where people had historically just been going by, you know, the raw number data. And that was just groundbreaking research. Now, so many other, you know, professors and people all across the country, you know, are talking about um, data and information and, you know, that's, that's a good thing. It's going to bring about more transparency. I know the federal government passed a law in December you know, saying that they want a transparency and that local police departments were going to have to start um, making reports where historically that information would have went to, like, the the FBI crime reports and all that. It ain't going to the FBI crime reports anymore. It's supposed to be going to the um, Department of Justice Statistics. And that's and where for, people are stepping in, like right. killedbypolice.net and others, you know, the cop watchers out there and those who right. run the social media profiles just to let people know the propensity of this violence uh, in, in the United States. And, and, and so, like you said, you know, federal government can't be trusted. State governments can't be trusted with the data. And so, you know, people are uh, being proactive and coming up, you know, with their own solutions and, and, and citizen-run databases. And that's great. And you're involved in some work like that, right? Right. In, in Baltimore right. or in Maryland. Right, and um, Freddie is actually the the sixth um, black man to be um, murdered in um, the area mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Baltimore City, Baltimore County um, region. Um, so this is this is severe. You know, this is only like what mid mid April. You know, and like I said, it's every you know fourteen days across the state of Maryland, mm-hmm. and it's you know, it, it's extremely severe. And I was I was talking to, to one of the politicians at this DOJ community meeting, and I, you know, was talking about the, this issue of, of being a state of emergency and, and the public health crisis um, for black men and boys in the United States, and I don't want to leave out women either. Um, but the fact of the matter is that when we had this supposed measles outbreak, you know, at, at the Disney Park, and people, you know, was infected with the measles. All of a sudden, there were all of these different things that was put in place, you know, to deal with those issues. And when I confronted this politician about, you know, how the, that, that, you know, public health model dealt with that as a disease, he was like, oh, well, we don't have, like, a, a national coordinated effort, you know, like the CDC. And I'm like, well, what the hell is the Department of Justice then? You know, like, are they not supposed to be, you know, the coordinated effort, you know, to deal with this rampant issue, you know, of police, you know, terrorism and genocide, you know, the same way the CDC deals with, you know, disease, you know, where is the state that we're in a state of emergency? And, you know, it's just ridiculous that, you know, you got politicians and other people that, that don't even see it that way. Well, we need to take our last break of the uh, program as we get ready to wrap it up. Uh do want to, of course, give birthday shout-outs for this week before we end the broadcast. But you're listening to Political Prisoner Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. This is Ron Hayes with 
Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. When we see our people being brutalized by white bigots, white racists, uh, we think that they are foolish to allow themselves to be beaten and brutalized and do nothing whatsoever to protect themselves. They are foolish. If they should have the right to, de- to defend themselves against any attack made against them by anyone. If a dog is biting a black man, the black man should kill the dog. Whether the, the dog is a police dog, a hound dog, or any kind of dog. If a dog is fixed on a black man, when that black man is doing nothing but trying to uh, take advantage of what the government says is supposed to be his, then that black man should kill that dog or any two-legged dog, two-legged dog, two-legged dog. That there will come a time when black people wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, as other humans are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, then the black man will think like a black man, and he will feel for other black people. And this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together. And then at that point, you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man, you are attacking all black men. And this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together. And this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people. And it is the only thing that will bring an end to it. No federal court, state court, or city court will bring an end to it. It's something that the black man has to bring an end to, has to bring an end to, has to bring an end to. Welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. And uh, I don't have anything to add to that except for I'm in full agreement with uh, Minister Malcolm on that about bringing an end to it. Because it's been going on unabated. And so, again, you know, that is why many of our uh, political prisoners and prisoners of war are behind bars. Uh, but we do want to recognize the uh, political prisoner birthdays for this week. We have three coming up this week. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing uh, this man's name correctly. But Kevin Chianella, um, he has a birthday. It will be on... Wednesday, uh, April the 22nd, um, he received a two-year prison sentence for his participation in the G20 protests in Toronto in 2010. He was 18 years old at the time, and he got a heftier sentence because he attacked a cop car with a canvas bag full of rocks. He is also stated to have fueled and helped sustain the fire that was set upon another cop car. People getting tired of this. Uh, Chianella from Queens was supported in court by his family, among them his 90-year-old uh, grandmother. So um, his birthday is coming up here uh, on this Wednesday. And uh, Brother Mumia Abu-Jamal, his birthday is on the 24th. You want to tell him a little bit about Brother Mumia you know, although we've been talking about him a lot here lately, and rightly so with his medical condition, have you heard any updates on that, Sister Mitchell? Um, I do know that um, Sister Wadia, um, Mamiya's wife, was on um, uh, George Jackson University Radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a chance to um, hear um, her updates. I do know that there are several events. Um, that are scheduled for um, Momia's birthday, and there's still um, a push um, to collect donations for Momia and Momia's family to have a doctor of his choice. Um, I do know that that is uh, an ongoing 
um, campaign to be able to have an, an independent uh, medical practitioner um, to, to help um, deal with um, whatever um, his medical condition is. But, of course, you know, all that we're being told right now is that, you know, he had begun showing signs of uh, having diabetes. Um, so, and of course, having um, eczema and um, other issues. And the pictures that um, came out uh, were were very telling. Of, yes, they uh, were, man. Was, he looked kind of frail. Right, right. And, um, you know, those, those pictures really sent a, a strong message to, you know, people in the community and Momia supporters about, you know, the urgency of um, his medical condition. And, you know, just like we shared last week, you know, um, you know, he, you know, came right back into, you know, wanting to do, you know, his commentaries and be strong and sustain herself. Which um, unfortunately, which unfortunately I was going to mention is we don't have a commentary uh, from him this week. And not only mm-hmm. from, not from him, but not from any because I usually right. on on Sundays I wanted to start highlighting the work of Prison Radio and right. uh, put together the Prison Radio mix where I would mix any of the week's uh, commentaries from any of the political prisoners and they haven't um, there has been no new commentaries posted so I hope everything right. is all right with our political prisoners and you know with Noel Hammerhan over at uh, Prison Radio. Um, right. The last one is uh, Janine. Phillips, Africa. Um, now, was it is it Janet that was married to Brother Phil that just passed um, away? I think it was it Janet Africa. I'm not sure. I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think it may be Janet. Okay, but um, her birthday. She is um part of the move family of course janine phillips africa her birthday is saturday on april the 25th um she served as minister of education for the move organization her daughter life africa was killed at three weeks old by the philadelphia police see police man every time something bad happened in our community usually damn police involved um, she was later caught in the police raid of the move house where she and eight others were wrongfully convicted of the murder of a police officer who was killed by friendly fire by other cops during the raid. She has served over 30 years in prison despite her innocence. Um, you know, as is the case with, with the move nine, uh, all of them were sentenced for killing one cop like they all had pulled the trigger and he was shot one time um as you know has was stated in the piece i just read to you um shot by friendly fire from a sniper a police sniper it appears across the street so those are your political prisoner uh birthdays and they come to you courtesy of the nyc anarchist black cross they put together the uh political prisoner prisoner of war birthday calendar and and we thank them for that work uh sis did you have any final comments as we get ready to wrap up i do i actually have uh an announcement that i received word that uh chip fitzgerald will be coming home um what what for real So hopefully we can have uh, his supporters. Yes. So hopefully we can have uh, one of his supporters um, come on the show sometime soon to uh, give us an update um, on his case. Man, that's great news because he just recently had a birthday too. Yes. Yeah, he just recently had a birthday, so that's great news. That's great to hear. And, and I had, you know, just been looking at his photo because I was reading up about him. And, um, you know, and, and no, I'm not bisexual or anything like that, but Chip was a handsome young black man <laughs> back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Chip mm-hmm. Romaine, uh, yeah. 
that's great news. I'm glad to hear hear that brother is getting out. Cause I had, all, yeah, I know what it was. I think I had had heard or read a report about him going before a parole hearing or something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's great news to hear that he's getting out. Always a cause of celebration when one of the prisoners of war are released. And he was active with the Panthers in California, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, people, that's our program for tonight. We will be back on air next Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time right here on the same station, Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, we hope that you will tune in and also bring a friend, as they say. You know, if you think that any other programming on the Black Talk Radio Network is um, constructive, then please share that with other people. That is the number way, the number one way that our station grows is by word of mouth of the black people sharing with other black people um, about this independent black media source. So y'all, I hope that everyone has a productive week. Peace and blessings to all. Good night. (laughs) 